Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at ochentestudio.com slash audiobooks. And find the titles on apps like Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work. You get a million dollars. <laughs> In butter. In butter, yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Kiona. And this is Luis. And we're your hosts of How Not to Travel Podcast Season 3. Fasten your seatbelts and take your seat at the table. In this season, we're traveling around the world from our dinner tables to see how cultural exchange contributed to some of the world's most famous foods. This week, croissants. I think you should try the sweet one first. Let's try it. And see. All right. Okay. What is our verdict? Buttery. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We just tried these amazing croissants, but where do we get them? So we got them at Mille Delis, which is a French bakery here in Monterrey. Um, that I really like. I've I've been a loyal customer for a few years now, and that's where we got our croissants. And would you say it's like easy to find croissants in Mexico? It's definitely not too hard, especially because many bakeries carry some form of a croissant. Like it'll probably not be the same as a French croissant or a European one, but it's definitely a popular enough type of bread here. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So what, in your opinion, makes a good croissant? You know, uh, I've never been someone who's like an enormously huge fan of croissants. For example, I'm not super picky on like what it should or shouldn't have. Um, I like it when it's slightly sweet, but not too sweet, definitely. Yeah, I like it when it's thin and flaky. Yeah, the flakiness is also an important element. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So I don't really eat croissants that much because of the high caloric intake. What is the ingredient in the croissant that you think contributes to the high calories in croissants? The first thing I would say is probably the same as any sort of bread, which is flour. But I don't know if that's the whole story. Definitely flour contributes a lot of calories, but also the butter, which is basically the crux of the entire croissant history. And did you know that croissant is not even French? But like, it's a French word and everything, right? It's a French word and everything, and we'll get into it. Wow. So like the, the most stereotypically French bread, maybe apart from a baguette, is is not French? No. Although maybe French would argue that it is. Yeah, I'm sure they would. <laughs> but tell me more then. Um, okay. So firstly, we cannot have croissants without butter, which takes us to 8,000 BC in ancient Africa. A thirsty herder had been walking all day with sheep's milk strapped to his animal, and, you know, it was jostling around all day long. It was hot, he was tired, and so when the herder went to drink his milk, the liquid had turned into a solid, and that is what we call butter today. It's like accidental fermentation. Yes, exactly, and it was because this man was traveling with milk. Did you know? 
that butter is far from the only food whose origin story has a happy accident? It's not uncommon for products that age or ferment to have a fortuitous story about how they came to be. One of my favorite examples of this is gorgonzola cheese. Legend has it that an Italian cheesemaker in the Middle Ages added fresh curds to a vat and left it open overnight. Because he was in a rush to meet his lover, he forgot about it and later tried to fix the issue by adding more fresh curds. He was then surprised to find a bluish mold growing on the cheese a few months later. He tasted it, loved it, and thus one of the world's most beloved cheeses was born. From there, butter went on to be developed into different flavors, having different uh, salt content added to it. Um, but from there, butter made its way to Europe, where it was integrated into baking. Actually, it was used for a lot of strange things. Like, the king of Norway demanded taxes get paid in butter. He loved it so much. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I've always loved stories of being able to pay your taxes with things other than money. Like, I mean, this is just going slightly off topic, but how uh, in, in the early years of the U.S., uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson used to pay their taxes in hemp. That's so crazy because, you know, hemp is definitely illegal. Yeah, exactly. But it, it wasn't the case all the time. But anyway, this, of course, isn't about hemp, but I just wanted to add that because it's such a fun little, you know, fact. Paying taxes in different currencies. So once it landed in Europe, the butter gets put into baked goods, right? Well, legend has it that in 1683, when a baker who was up baking early in the morning, because, you know, bakers wake up pretty early. Like, oh, yeah. Donut shop people wake up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Um, well, he was baking in the morning in Vienna, and he heard the Turks from the Ottoman Empire tunneling underneath the city and sounded the alarm. And Austria won. To mark Austria's victory over the powerful Ottoman Turks, the bakers made crescent moon-shaped cookies to mimic that of the crescent moon in the Turkish flag and called it Kipfel. And Kipfel means crescent in German. So what is the word for crescent in French? Croissant? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you get a million dollars. <laughs> in butter. In butter, yeah. <laughs> My great aunt told me this story, by the way. One day we were... um baking our vanilla kupfer cookies that we always bake during Christmas. By the way, she's Austrian. Um, and it is something that she passed down like this is a marking of the Austrian victory over the Turks many years ago. And they fought many wars against each other. It's just one of the wars that they fought. And it's my favorite cookie ever in Austria. So I am a big vanilla kupfer fan. But um after doing further research, that is just a story. Oh, it's not true? No, actually the Kirfu existed long before the Ottomans came to Austria, even being referenced back in the 13th century. So um, I don't know how I'm going to break it to her that she's lying. <laughs> or at least was misinformed somehow. <laughs> exactly. I mean, everybody loves to hear a legend, but, you know, legends aren't always based in truth. But it is very likely that the crescent shape of the bread came from the actual moon. And it was used as a pagan offering to the goddess of the moon. So then this bread shaped like the moon was made as an offering to the goddess? Yeah, exactly. We can kind of look at like bread offerings in Mexico, like during Day of the Dead. Like it's definitely part of like the ceremonial practices of indigenous peoples that 
starts starts there and then it develops into something else. I had never thought that pan de muerto, which is the you know the bread made during the Day of the Dead season, and croissants had anything in common. But wow, okay, well that plus the sugar and the butter, of course. Yeah, <laughs> the croissant, although it's a French word, is actually Austrian in origin. But actually, in Austria, if you ask for a kipfel, no one is going to hand you a croissant. It's more like a cookie, so it's thick. But I know a cookie isn't really what you think of when you think of a croissant, right? And how big is it, the cookie? They're really, really small. I mean, like an Oreo. Yeah, it's like the size of an Oreo and just shaped a moon shape. But yeah, at some point, the kipfel came to France and it turned into a puffed pastry. And this is also steeped in myth. So have you ever heard of Marie Antoinette? Oh, yeah, of course. So Marie Antoinette is Austrian, and she married um, the king of France. Well, the myth is that Marie Antoinette missed her Viennese pastry so much that she had it brought to France. But, you know, um, since she's the Kim Kardashian of her time, we definitely would have known that it was her, and it would have been in newspapers everywhere. And it isn't. No. In fact, the croissant was mentioned nowhere. Not for over 50 years after Marie Antoinette was beheaded did the croissant start to be mentioned. And historians trace it back to, again, an Austrian. Okay, so it was a different Austrian then. Yes, living in France, and his name was August. August opened the first ever Viennese pastry store in Paris. And then from there, patented a special steam oven that left his bread shining. And, you know, the French flocked for this famous viennoiserie, as the French call baked goods from Vienna. So the French at this time are like loving these beautiful little breads that are also tasty. Exactly. Actually, what makes the croissant distinctly French is August sold his bakery and moved back to Austria. And from there, a ton of imitation shops popped up everywhere. And it was only then that the French added yeast to the bread. And the bread lifted, becoming the fluffy pastry it is today. Did you know that a croissant isn't automatically good just because you bought it in France? Obviously, France prides itself on having the world's best croissants. But that doesn't mean you can find those at every boulangerie and pâtisserie. Some businesses work with pre-frozen industrial dough which can still yield a good product, but doesn't compare to the quality of an artisanal croissant made from scratch. The shops that do offer them, fortunately, carry the label Boulanger de France, which certifies that all bread and pastries are made with the specific ingredients allowed, the correct salt level in the dough, and the proper kneading technique. So do you feel like the croissant is French or Austrian? This has suddenly become very hard to answer because, you know, while we were talking about all of this, I had always imagined it as being this fluffy pastry. But now that you mentioned that it was only then that the French added the yeast to it, that's the moment when it gets its distinctive fluffy texture and fluffiness. French vibe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so I guess they didn't invent it, but they added that last element. I don't know if it's the last element. There might be other surprises here, but at least this latest element that made it like a modern day croissant, right? Right, exactly. But you know what the crazy part of all of this is? The name croissant means crescent and the French are obsessed with butter, but the croissants that are crescent shaped are actually made with margarine. Did you ever notice that some croissants are straight? 
Yeah, yeah. So there's like a whole French law that demands that croissants that are made with butter can be straight, but if any other fat is used, it must be a different shape. Okay, so that's why some croissants are shaped like a like a longer bread and others are curved. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like um, warning labels, FDA labels <laughs> back in the day, but they just did it with shapes. I guess you were just expected to know what, what each one had. Yeah, I guess when it became a law, like people knew. For me, the hypocritical part of all of this is, is that the French were the ones who pushed for the invention of margarine. Okay, so like... Famously butter-loving French people pushed for the invention of margarine. Yes. Napoleon III called for a butter alternative for his French army during the Franco-Prussian War because it was easier to spread. I mean, it was cold, so butter was so hard. So it has a military purpose then. Yes. From there, bakers were required to separate which ones were butter and which ones were margarine. So if you look at our croissants now, are they made with butter or margarine? I mean, if they're sticking to the law, I don't know if it's still a law, actually. But if it isn't, it at least is probably still a tradition, right? Yes. These are longer shaped, straight, so I assume they're made with butter. And when I tasted them, they definitely have that buttery. They're definitely flaky and, and really, really good. Basically, if it wasn't for the moon goddess or the Viennese bakers or the African sheep herder or the French imitators or Napoleon III, we would never have the delicious croissant that we have today. Did you know that the croissant has been the inspiration behind all sorts of fusion pastries? Among them, the cronut? This delightfully named baked good debuted in 2013 in New York, more specifically in the bakery of renowned French pastry chef Dominique Ancel. Known for his inventive desserts, many of which go viral, Ancel decided to join two iconic pastries, combining the dough and layering method of the croissant with the shape and deep frying technique used to make donuts. They're so popular, in fact, that Ancel's bakery runs out of them virtually every day before noon with crowds of people waiting hours for their own. Now, the Cronut is arguably the most famous croissant-based fusion, but there are others worth mentioning, mainly the Kregel, the Krupp Cake, the Krawfel, and my personal favorite, the Kroncha. I've genuinely learned so much today. <laughs> like, I didn't know the different shapes, and I didn't know that, like, it meant that they were made with a different product, right? Because we associate them with butter so much. So do you know more about margarine? Because I'm I'm sort of interested in knowing more about that, considering that the French invented it for military purposes. And Yeah, so margarine was invented by a French chemist in 1869 when fats and oils were scarce in Western Europe, as we discussed due to the war. And it was originally an extract from animal fat, but today margarine is mostly made from vegetable oils, including corn, cottonseed, safflower, soy, and sunflower. In addition to that, uh, margarine is very easily softened, so it's really, really easy to spread. And on top of that, it actually contains no less than 80% edible fat. And actually today, many margarine products contain less total fat, saturated fat, and no trans fat as compared to earlier margins and even butter. 
So that's like a, a common way to make like a reduced fat version of a of a product. Right? Yeah, I guess we could say that the crescent shaped croissants are low fat croissants, but maybe not low fat, but lower fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not exactly light. So it was it was a military invention, like for easier transportation and storage while at war. Yeah, all of this kind of revolves around war, if you think about it, from the shape to the battles to you know, how margarine was invented. Like these are all pushed by need due to human conflict. There's like need because of scarcity, but also the bread as a symbol of triumph and of victory. So are you more of a butter person or a margarine person? I'm definitely a butter person. What about you? Yeah, me too. It's funny because like I, I grew up eating margarine more precisely because it was a lower fat version. Uh, but then ever since I discovered that like butter was better, in my opinion, I just like switched to butter. It's definitely more natural as a lot of things in margarine are synthetic. Also, it, it's just much more flavorful, I think. I'm sure yeah. that there are like different forms of margarine, but... Yeah, no, I can definitely taste the difference. And I definitely can tell the difference in spread. Like it's really hard to spread butter when it's cold. Yeah, and also for cooking. I don't know. I just prefer it. Yeah, and baking. Like and I baking. just could not imagine using margarine. I don't know. I've never tried it though. But I mean, if it's good enough for the French army, <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. If you're still hungry for more, stick around and listen to our other episodes this season. How Not to Travel is produced by Studio Ochenta and hosted by Dr. Kiona and me, Luis Lopez. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Production and sound design by me and Chiara Sandella. Our production coordinator is Catalina H. Vélez. And our social media manager is Sofia Rodríguez. You can follow us on Instagram at HowNotToTravelPod and at Ochenta Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. Read more about the show and about our other productions on our website, OchentaStudio.com. Thanks for listening, y buen provecho. <laughs>